Thank you for inviting me to come and preach. Nice to be with all of you. And thank you for your prayers for, uh, for us and uh, OM and, and, uh, and what we are doing. <clears throat> and also for SAT7 too. I put some, some information on the, in the foyer. This is what it looks like. Uh, it's, um, it's a very good appraisal of what is um, going on in Egypt at the moment. It's written by the director of SAT7, a man called Terry Ascott. And uh, it's got some very interesting points from a Christian point of view, from the Egyptian Christian point of view, of how they see things going on in Egypt. And it's got some very good prayer points in there. So you can, you can pray intelligently. Uh, and a lot of those points, of course, will apply to, uh, uh, to Syria as well and to, and to what is going on there. And uh, do remember to pray for God's people in, in the surrounding countries of Syria, as well as in Syria, in working in the in the refugee camps in, in, in Turkey on the border with Syria, uh, refugee camps in Lebanon, uh, refugee camps in Jordan, and some of those who have fled uh, and, and come to the West as well. And, uh, and for many of those people, this is the second time they've had to do this because a lot of those people that have fled have come out of, of uh, Iraq to avoid all the bombings and, uh, and, and everything, and, and they've moved out with their families, and they moved in with, with family and friends in, in Syria, and now they have to move again. And, uh, and that's uh, very traumatic. 600,000 children have been affected by this, by this war. Uh, about 8,000 children under five have been killed uh, through this war. Uh, just Some of them just mown down along with their... Uh, their fathers as well. And a lot of these children that are fled into these refugee camps are in a great deal of turmoil, uh, and uh, they're very traumatized. And it's the job, really, of, uh, of the, the pastors in these, in these countries and in these refugee camps that are there uh, to try and help uh, these children. That's very, very difficult. Uh, so pray for, pray for peace. Pray for wisdom for those who, who are taking the responsibility of trying to deal with this. And... Uh, uh, because it, it's important that we, we do pray as people, because prayer is the only answer, actually. Prayer changes things. It really does. It, it, it really makes a difference. And, and, and I know these people in Syria uh, and Egypt and in these refugee camps who are calling themselves Christians are dependent on people like us uh, praying for them, and I pray that we won't uh, let them down. Now we're going to look at uh, <clears throat> Timothy. Actually, we're going to look at the whole of the book. So you'll need your Bibles open because we should be referring to um, the whole of this, this book. Uh, not verse by verse, you'll be pleased to know. Otherwise, we will be here till Christmas. And uh, I don't fancy that myself. Uh, but uh, we'll, we're going to pick out the principles, six principles that apply uh, to the church, uh, that apply to us. Because this letter was written, yes, to Timothy. It's a personal letter to Timothy, but also it was written to a, a church in Ephesus. We know a great deal about that church. We know that that church was well taught. The Apostle Paul spent a great deal of time there. These people knew uh, a lot about what it means to be a Christian, but also they needed, they needed help. They needed guidance. As the church matured, it needed to know where it was going and how to govern itself, how to be a people of God in a very strategic place. Ephesus was <clears throat> the center of, 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 of idol worship, this great temple uh, to uh, Diana, uh, this great golden temple uh, that was erected there, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
And uh, it was not only a temple where people came to worship, it was also a bank as well. Uh, because people thought, well, if I deposit my, my riches in here, nobody's going to rob a temple. They were sorely disappointed with that, because people did in the end, and they lost a great deal. But they banked a lot on that. And, and that's why Paul talks in Ephesus about the riches of God's grace. Real riches, not just gold and silver and whatever. Uh, and these people knew what it was to have these riches and, and to put them into practice. And Timothy was the, in charge of this church. He was the elder, the pastor, uh, and he was the only one that Paul had uh, to, uh, to come into this church. There was nobody like him, according to Paul, uh, of the same spirit. And he was given this awesome responsibility of, of looking after these people, teaching them and governing them and helping them to, uh, to grow and to be dynamic in their particular situation. And we are in a very similar situation. We are surrounded by, uh, by pagans and godless people, uh, by and large. And uh, we need guidance as how to reach out to these people. We know uh, for about 60 years this church at Ephesus made an enormous impact on the community. But at the end, about 100 something like that, 100 plus uh, AD, they wandered off. We know that from Revelation. They lost their first love. They missed the mark. We, we can take lessons from that, that we don't do that, that we stay faithful and true uh, to the gospel. Now let's look at this. Uh, this chapter together, uh, uh, chapter one to start with. And we're going to be thinking about that. Why? Because the reputation of the church, I think it's taken a bit of a bashing of late, both this side of the pond and the other side of the pond as well. And, and people have come uh, to, to regard the church with disdain and, uh, and, and unfortunately they, they put everybody together in the same basket. The church is the church. We who belong to the Lord Jesus know that there's difference. There's a difference between the established church and the real church. But the, the world outside doesn't. And, uh, and we need to make our distinctions uh, clear, that we, what we believe in and why we are committed to what we are committed to and who are, we are committed to and where our authority comes from. Uh, and we need to do that. This church at Ephesus needed uh, that uh, as well. And uh, we want to push those negative things aside. And think about the positive things, about what the Lord Jesus thinks of us, because he's the head of the church. The first thing I want us to think about uh, under number one heading is that we are a body which is healthy and balanced. Uh, <clears throat> if you look at this chapter one together, we, we have uh, uh, in our society today, as, as they did in, in Ephesus, we have the haves and the have-nots. Uh, we have uh, the, uh, the, the, the lines are dra being drawn between the abused and the poor and the exploitation of the poor, the pleasure society, <clears throat> whose philosophy is, if you like it, well then do it. Uh, <clears throat> it can be okay. As long as no one gets hurt, try it. And we know that that is pursued to, to excess. <clears throat> we only have to go into our hospitals <clears throat> in A&E. The weekend, I went into, unintentionally, uh, a couple of weeks ago, to the A&E, and it was a bit of a zoo, to be honest. Uh, it was bedlam in there. I thought I was going to go in for a bit of tranquility and peace. And it was, it was far from that. People screaming, people drunk, uh, people all uh, swearing, uh, people fighting with, with doctors and nurses. And, and it was an amazing place. Uh, all because of excesses. Excesses of drink uh, and, and uh, 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 abuse of, of, of some kind of, of, of drugs or whatever. And uh, the, our hospitals are overflowing with the results of these things. And the world, it seems, is teetering on the edge. It was teetering on the edge when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus. And yet the church, us, committed people, are a church that offers hope 
and moral health and spiritual balance. That's what our calling is as people of God. Paul exhorted Timothy to make his church a secure place for the seeking of truth. You look at those verses at 3 and 4 of chapter 1. That's what he says. Let me read them to you. Uh, I urge you when I went to, into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may uh, command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless theologies. Uh, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. That's what we are supposed to be as, as people of God. We're not up and in the business of speculation. The world is, but we're not. And we're not because the only gospel that we have to proclaim is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, which offers true answers to a lost society. Answers that work. They're not speculation. They're not ifs or buts, and they're not shades of grey either. They work. They deliver. And the Apostle Paul highlights that for, for Timothy, uh, how to live and how to, to, to use this gospel that we have uh, so that we can be a potent force uh, for good. The second thing is this. It's found in chapter 2 uh, as well. Uh, it, it talks about us as being people who are, are people of, uh, uh, who are committed to prayer. When you came out this morning, or before you came out this morning, did you pray? Interesting thought. Did you pray? Did you have a time uh, with the Lord on your own about your particular needs or the needs of others that were pressing on your heart? Uh, did you pray? Why do we pray? We pray to a God uh, who can deliver. We pray to a God who has said in his word uh, that he can do anything but fail, and we, who has said in his word that nothing is impossible with him. Therefore, all the options are open, so that when we come to him, uh, we, can, we can know that he is going to deal with it. We live in a world, which is certainly in the West, which has devised many ways of dealing with the ills of society. You need money. No problem, you got a piece of plastic, you put it in the machine, you hit the numbers and out comes the cash, hopefully. Need a meal? Go to some place, buy a package meal, come home, bung it in the, in the microwave, hit the numbers, and out it comes uh, piping hot. But concerning the deeper things of, of, of the heart, like how to deal with a broken heart, technology is cold comfort. It doesn't have many answers for that. It doesn't have any answers, I don't think. Yet the church ushers us in to the presence of God by plugging us into a supernatural power. And that power is the power of prayer. The Apostle Paul told us this in chapter 2. Let me read these words to you uh, that uh, Paul wrote in chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, this is verse 1, that requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And pleasing to God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom uh, for all men. I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or uh, disputing. You see, prayer is not passive. It's, it's, it's aggressive. It's, uh, uh, it's pointed. Is purposeful, and it delivers. That's the thing. It delivers when we pray to Almighty God. It's an active statement of our confidence in God's authority over us. It's opening our minds to what he might do if we come and we pray, and we ask him to take over control of our longings, of our pain, uh, of all the things that are wrong in society. 
It's interesting that if you read church history, about the first 400 years of church history, all the, the main church fathers emphasized in their teaching praying for those in authority. Even the tyrants that they were burning them in the arenas and sending them to, to wild beasts to be torn to pieces. Pray for them. Why? We may not agree with their politics, but we, we, pray, we pray for their office, uh, that God will use the office uh, that they, they are there uh, uh, for the good of all of us, especially for us who belong uh, to the Lord Jesus. That's why it's our responsibility to pray for people in, in authority and, and, and mean it and ask God to use them and pray for those we know who are Christians in, in, in society. They might be salt and light in their community. Yes, that's risky living, putting yourself out there. It is, but that's what we're called to be. Uh, prayer, prayer may not change our circumstances, but it will certainly change us. It will make us different because the Lord Jesus is in the business of changing people if we own him and are committed to him. As we, it builds in our life faith and develops in us a deep, deep sense of commitment for him. You see, the world has nothing to compare with peace that comes through believing prayer. And I hope that our prayers are believing prayer, that we cover everything with believing prayer and expectant of the answers that he is going to do. Maybe not in the way that we want, but we're expectant. We're looking forward and we're looking to that. <clears throat> Thirdly, we are a representation of God's unchanging standard. In, verse, in chapter 3, Look at the qualifications for leadership. Uh, they're a bit awesome, really. Uh, if you look down them, uh, you, you, nowhere in the world do you find a, a job description like this one uh, of what it means to be a leader uh, in the church. <clears throat> look at the level of excellence uh, that, that church leadership uh, represents. This is what the Apostle Paul has to say. Uh, he says this <clears throat> in, in chapter 3, verse 2. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not lovers of money. He must, be, uh, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? There are awesome qualifications but, you know, they don't also apply just to leaders. They're, they're picked on because that's, that's the requirement for them. But that also applies to all of us as well. We should be like this. We should be temperate. We should be self-controlled. Uh, we should be people. Why? Because if you look at verse 15, the Apostle Paul calls us, he calls us the household of God. That's all of us. No exceptions. All of us. The church of the living God. We are the pillars and support of the church. However, the list of qualifications does not, is not the final member, uh, uh, measure of our conduct. Uh, the Lord Jesus is. He is the ultimate standard. We look to him. And our business is to be more like him as we grow as people of God. And he never changes. You look at verse 16 and ask yourself, how are you doing in the business? Fourthly, we are a, a force for good in bad times. Chapter 4. The Apostle Paul said that bad times were coming. They're already with us now. You only have to turn on your television and your radio and read your newspapers uh, to know that. Do you recognise some of the world's characteristics Paul warned us to watch out for? You look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Let me, let me read it to you. Uh, this, is what he, this is what Paul has to say. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons 
such teachings through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. He's talking about defections. Those who deny the truth. Those who take God's word and put something else into it and add to it. He's talking about deceptions. Those people who deliberately lead people astray. He's talking about demonism. In the church he's talking about. People who, who profess to own the Lord Jesus and yet have another master. He's talking about hypocrisy. People who, who, who say one thing and do uh, another. He's talking about legalism and asceticism. Those people who, who would tie us up in knots and, and make nothing of the grace of God. In the midst of all that whirlwind of evil, the church stands as a bastion of righteousness. And we are to act out those roles that Paul describes for Timothy and for us as well. We are to be good servants, nourished on faith and good doctrine. Uh, uh, verse 6, the latter part of verse 6. We are to be disciples, disciplined, whose goal is godliness. Verse 7, <clears throat> exemplary teachers who know what we are talking about because we are based on God's word, not on some speculation of some philosopher or, or some wimbag who's got a PhD who knows nothing. Sharing the hope of Christ is our business. Uh, verses 10 and 11. We are to be good servants means that we are not to neglect the spiritual gifts within us. I'm glad that Tim told us that little story about the five loaves and two fishes. All of us have spiritual gifts. All of us. You don't come into the church to be a spectator. There is no gift called spectatorship. It ain't there. All of us have a part to play. And it's for us as individuals to find out that part that God wants us and to use it to the best of our ability. Why? Because we're building a fellowship and we're building a unity of fellowship, uh, striving together as people of God to be the kind of church he wants us to be in this community, to make an impact, to make a difference in, in people's lives, to see people's lives changed. Uh, we're not here to, to assemble ourselves as some holy huddle, uh, like a dugout, uh, grimly waiting at the end. We're not here for that. We're here uh, to serve the Lord Jesus. We're here to cultivate those gifts, verse 15, and pay close attention to them, verse 16. You see, being a force for good doesn't just happen. It takes hard work. And the hard work is knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And where do we get that from? Uh, by reading God's word. And reading it for ourselves. Not just accepting what is said from the front or from other people, or from books, but to do what the Bereans did. Remember them? When they had a confrontation with the Apostle Paul, what did they do? Here was the great Apostle Paul. They went home, it says, and they searched the scriptures to see if it was so. That presupposes something, that they knew where to look. And they did, because they knew the scriptures. That's for us as well to know what we believe and why we believe it, because we know where to look in the scripture and ask ourselves, is this true based on God's word? <clears throat> or is this uh, just the speculations of men or some fanciful thinking? <clears throat> we don't want to be left uh, and, 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 uh, and led astray. And plenty in this world who call themselves Christians are being led astray by very powerful people who are good in the media, very good celebrities, uh, who who got everything going for them, uh, except the truth, by and large. And then lastly, uh, the church is a source of reliable information. Look at chapter 6. The church assumes the role as an amplifier of the truth. Talking about doctrine, 
talking about the truth of doctrine as found in God's word, talking about relational conflicts within us as a fellowship. How do we deal with those? Personal contentment, money, priorities, life and lifestyle. Where, where are we going? What are our priorities as individuals and as a church? Yes, the world may resist the truth of, uh, of God and his word, but you know, the, world, the, the church is not in the business of tickling the, uh, the, the ears of the world uh, or watering it down, uh, the truth, just for expediency, just to be popular. Uh, we know what happens when you do that. You close the door and you become ineffective and you have no power. You read Revelation 1 and 2 of those churches, those seven churches. Some of those did that. And they might as well have closed the door. They were, they were totally ineffective. You see, if God is not in it, uh, then they're not going anywhere. But if God is in it, you're going everywhere. And you're making a difference in people's lives, not only in the fellowship, but also in the community as well. And yes, it may be painful for us at times to confront people, but that's our job as Christians. When we stick to scripture, the information that we dispense is reliable. We can bank on it. We can bank our lives on it, and we can bank our salvation on it. And we will not be disappointed, because the Lord Jesus is not in the business of disappointing people. He doesn't leave people at the garden path. Neither does he say, oh, you know, that you can do this and do that, uh, and you won't get bear the consequences. He talks about real things. You see, if we could tie all these things uh, together, uh, yes, the world may regard the church with disdain, disdain and an utter irrelevance, by and large. But, you know, you and I, our job is to make our motives pure and unselfish so that we might be a sweet perfume of Christ in our church and our, indi in our in individual lives. And what for? Not for the glory of Ladyfield Evangelical Church. Not for personalities, but for the Lord Jesus, that he might be lifted up. And if he said if he's lifted up, he will draw people to him. They will see the loveliness in the Lord Jesus by us and what we are. So let us be determined as people of God to be those kind of people for him uh, in, the, in the months that we have in the, this year and also into next year. And think about ourselves as people of God and how to be people of God and go home when you have an hour or so, and it won't take you more than an hour. I, I read this in 40 minutes, this chapter, these chapters. You can do that over a cup of coffee either today or tomorrow, and ask yourself, thinking about those headlines, where am I? What part do I have to play? What does God want me to do? And ask him to, to show you what he would. And he will do that. He will not shut up. He will not leave you in the dark. He will not let you be wandering about aimlessly. You have a purpose. You're here for a purpose. You're not here by accident. Uh, uh, there's no such thing as fate and luck and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, in the Christian church. Uh, you're here because God has purposed you here uh, for his purposes to be part of a, a fellowship in unity, striving together to be a living example of what the church should be. And people will look at us and they will gravitate to us. They will, because they want to know what makes you tick. Why are you like this? Why is it, you, you know, you don't hit the panic button when things go wrong. Why? Hopefully because you know the Lord Jesus. He's the source of your hope and your salvation. And everything that you do is reference uh, to him in our prayers and in the lives that we live. 
so that he might be glorified and they see the Lord Jesus in us. May God help us to be those people. We're going to close as we sing. 442, this great hymn written by Timothy Dudley Smith, living down in just outside of Salisbury, uh, still alive today, still writing good hymns. Lord of the church, we pray for our renewing. Christ over all, our individual aim. And then we will close in prayer, and then we can go and have a cup of tea. <laughs>